Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we have the pleasure, honor, and challenge. Daunting task, I think is what you're— But it's awesome to discuss Palm Sunday slash the Sunday of the Passion, which means that we have two gospel readings, only one Old Testament and one epistle, but it is a full chapter of St. Luke— in the discussion of Jesus' passion. So we're going to try to discuss everything in a good and salutary way, but we're going to start with the triumphal entry. We're on Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday traditionally is the Sunday in which we get to wave uh, palm branches. We get to join in the voices of the large crowd that came to see Jesus in the triumphal entry. He gets to ride a donkey into the holy city, his city, and we recognize him as king. Now, this is a huge event because this is uh, foreseen, prophesied in the Old Testament. uh, Zechariah, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And we hear that he sends the disciples, they get it. um, The master, the owner says, what are you you doing to my, my animals? The Lord has need of it. And he says, okay. And he gets on the the donkey, rides in, and I think it is just amazing that people recognize this is the king. This is the promised one. This is Messiah. And I don't know to what extent. I really don't. I'm sure people got caught up in the moment, but I'm absolutely 100% sure the Holy Spirit is active, revealing this as he does this right before his crucifixion, his trial, the whole nine yards. So, before I uh, continue to talk, Vicar, do you have anything you want to add about the triumphal entry? That was way too easy of a summary, but do you got anything to add to that? So, in verse 12, we have the large crowd that had come to the feast. Uh, Why are so many people in Jerusalem? Because it's the resort town of the Middle East. Uh, This is uh, Passover. So, Passover is about to happen. Everybody's gathering. Everybody goes to the temple for sacrifice. So, I I think I read somewhere that uh, the population swells to well over a million people. So, that's not a small number. So that that's a big crowd. So there's there's kind of the crowd of people that have come to um, celebrate the Passover, uh, and then there's also this sense that there's this crowd that has come up uh, with Jesus up to Jerusalem, uh, and that comes out more in verse 17 of John 12. The crowd that had been with him, Jesus, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. So these are uh, the people, the the followers. Uh, the disciples, those who are interested in Jesus, who have been following with him now from the surrounding uh, little towns and villages of Jerusalem, and they've uh, some of them have actually seen Jesus uh, raise Lazarus from the dead. So there's kind of this group that's coming with Jesus, and then there's this larger group that's already there, uh, and then we get this kind of 
blend of all these people together. And that's what kind of sets the stage here for his entry into the city. And just to echo that a little bit, uh, verse 17, the last two words, and they can, well, bear witness. They continue to bear witness. And again, it's the whole idea that they just, they've seen Jesus, they've heard Jesus, and they're actually continuing in that life, that mission, that work. They just didn't show up and, hey, this is neat. Let's join the party. And the reason I wanted to to kind of draw that out for us is because there's there's kind of different uh, there's varying degrees of knowledge mm-hmm. uh, of Jesus and how much people have seen. Uh, maybe some people have just been hearing things about Jesus, so they're curious about him. Uh, maybe others are, you know, as as some things go, maybe they're exaggerating what Jesus has done. Yeah. Although they've just seen him raise someone from the dead, so that probably needs no exaggeration. But that's kind of the atmosphere. Fear that that's kind of um, painting this for us, and then we have their cries, uh, and we could get into you know how sincere is everybody in attendance, and, yeah. and what do they really mean? What are they looking for? All those sort of questions that typically come up. Well, and that goes back to my statement. I, I do think that people were caught up. This is exciting, but I also think that the Holy Spirit is absolutely at work. To what extent He does what He wants to do because He's God, and we have what is recorded, and we get to see the benefit for us. And with that, I would like to make this the segue into the other readings. Verse 19. So just painting the picture again, you have Jesus riding the donkey. Why does he always go up to Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem, uh, where it sits just geographically, is is at a higher altitude of, of all the surrounding area. So wherever you come from, you actually physically uh, have to go up to Jerusalem. And and I I brought that out in one of our 615 devotions the other night <laughs> for our Lenten midweek services. So um, tried to use that image of actually going up. So where where we have the Psalms of Ascent mm-hmm. uh, in, in the in our Psalter, those would be Psalms that that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, would be singing as they're ascending, they're going up into the city of Jerusalem. So that there's your fun fact there today, you. if you didn't already know that one. No, I appreciate because throughout the uh, Gospels, he's going up to Jerusalem, always up. But now, so Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, riding the donkey. Everybody's cheering him. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is a great historical statement because previous Israel kings did the same. Now, there was a lot more fanfare, more pomp and circumstance, so on and so forth. For Jesus to do this, this is a very bold statement. This is an outright political attack. I don't think he's seeking to be the earthly king. Obviously, he is the heavenly king, the king of all creation, so on and so forth. Throw in the Pharisees. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, and I see them with their arms crossed and they're grumbling. And they say, see, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And I I love this statement, and and this is why I want to use it as the segue into the passion account, the the trial, the arresting, the crucifixion, the death and burial of Jesus. I want to paint the Pharisees as fair as I can. They're not outright evil guys. They're not outright mean guys. They really, really think they're in the right. And they see Jesus. And uh, I say this tongue-in-cheek and serious at the same time. They think they're in the right. 
they think they're acting godly according to the law, and Jesus is doing the wrong thing. He's taking people away from the law, the temple, the correct teachings of the Old Testament, the prophecies, so on and so forth. And so with this, there's an absolute attack against power. They don't like that. That's a very human thing. We're all, we're all bad with that. But the whole idea that they throw the world at Jesus. See, the world has gone after Jesus. And I'd like to make this statement in, in, to be a little bit bigger. With arrogance, the Pharisees speak. They're right, Jesus is wrong, and we don't want those people anyway. You can have them, we'll deal with you later, and we got to figure out how to deal with them. Not only the people that are uh, following Jesus, but we're going to have to figure out how to do something with Jesus because he's rocking the boat. Now, this is a political statement, and this is if he— gets all these people to rebel or to uh, rabble-rise, um, to just be loud. Rome's going to take notice of this, and they might do something. This could be a tax. This could be more taxes. This could be a lot of things. And so I do think that they're politically minded, and I don't—that's not a good thing because their mind is not on God and so on and so forth. But they can quickly say, look— we're doing this for your benefit. We don't want Caesar, uh, we don't want Pilate to do anything bad, so we got to act. We got to act against this Jesus. Now, before we push uh, record, uh, Vicar had this um, great conspiracy theory going on. And, Put my tinfoil hat on and yeah. everything. And, and I think it's really good, and I think it's really fair, uh, because again, the bigness of, of the, the Pharisees are attacked. Um, they don't like being put second uh, tier. They don't like somebody. They don't like the crowds liking somebody else more than them. I think they're the established religious class. They've enjoyed uh, prominence. They've people came to them for their their problems. Uh, people came to them for their advice and so on and so forth. And then Jesus shows up, and now they're chopped liver, and they don't like it. And I get that. I, to a I, point, and I think that kind of um, teases out the human yes. hum, humanity of the Pharisees because it's kind of like um, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but when I was a kid, I went to Lutheran grade school, so mm -hmm. very small. You know everybody, and every once in a while, we would get a kid who would come from a different school, mm -hmm. and when that new student arrived, yep. they were hot stuff. Everybody wanted to be friends with the new kid, and the new kid would come in, and they would have, you know, they they do things a little differently. Maybe they came from a different area, so right. they're, they're kind of different things are cool to them, and they're bringing these new things and these new new ideas, and everyone's like, ah, oh, the new kid is so awesome. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the visual I yeah. get here with Jesus. He's, he's come into town, come into the area, and now into town, and he's kind of captured the attention of a lot of the, the people that used to... Um, follow the Pharisees, you know, uh, every word and everything like that. And so there's this jealousy that comes out. Absolutely. You brought out all the political um, uh, side of this where they, they just don't want to create any problems for themselves. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going into it. Um, but yeah, this idea that that maybe they're jealous that Jesus has kind of taken away some of their following. Maybe they've given up on those people because yeah. now they're following Jesus. So all the different sides that go into it. 
But now they actually have to step up, though. They can't just grumble at each other. They actually have to to have action to this because it's one thing just to complain um, and moan, but they have to do something. And uh, the previous texts, actually, what, what is it? Right after Lazarus? Yeah. So in in John chapter eleven, mm-hmm. uh, there's we have Jesus actually raises Lazarus, as I think we mentioned here, and then after that, uh, the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders, they actually have the, they try to come up with the plot to kill Jesus. And if you read it, they actually try to kill Lazarus too. Yeah. It's like, hey, this guy's walking evidence that Jesus can do miracles. We got to get rid of them both. So they've, they've kind of started kicking around the idea of, of getting rid of Jesus. And now I think here, as you're bringing out, I think now it's, well, they're seeing his popularity. They're seeing people go after him. So now they Ah, we can't just talk about getting rid of this guy. We we kind of have to do it now because we want to quell any political uprising mm-hmm. that might come. We want to keep our status and our authority, all the motivations going into it. But yeah, it it's now become even more real. It, it's a more real problem that they have to deal with. And, and I would go as far as because he's in Jerusalem now. This is the place where stuff happens. You don't bring that stuff to my house. Mm. This is my place. And uh, again, you know, I, I think there's a lot of dismissiveness. Um, you can have these people. You can they they can follow because they the Pharisees throw them under the bus. The world, not the believers, not the Jewish people, the world. And so I think there's a lot happening, especially with the Pharisees. And I appreciated uh, that you pointed out that this is actually the, the human aspect. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't think the Pharisees are any more evil than anybody else. Uh, before we push record, I was invoking my inner Pharisee. And um, I, I really liked your picture of the the, the new kid because uh, when I lived in Iceland, um, we were— roughly six months behind all of the American culture. So when a new kid came in, he was dressing different and dressing all these, and it was really, ooh, the new kid, <laughs> what's the outside world like, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I, I get that. And I think the Pharisees are struggling with that too. How do you address that? And then I also think they take their position very serious. I am the guardian of the law. I am here to correct you, build you up, and teach you these things. Don't listen to that other guy. He's crazy. Oh, but he raised people from the dead. Heresy. You know, and again, I can't imagine this because that is an attack against their power. And they're wrong. They, the Pharisees are wrong. I want to stress that. Uh, But at the same time, I see them, they're doing what they've been taught to do. And Jesus is bringing something different. And I think it it kind of um, brings to light the escalation of events here because quickly, as you you brought out here, that Jesus is now in Jerusalem, right. which is as as the Pharisees would have seen it, their place, right. their their home turf, if you will. And now Jesus is not just some you know far off in in Galilee or wherever doing his Jesus stuff, but now he is he has come to the holy city of mm-hmm. Jerusalem. And so th- the rapid escalation of what's going to take place, as we know, over the next week uh, really kind of brings comes, comes to a head here as Jesus has now come into Jerusalem. So now we, we jump to the—it's kind of funny—the actual gospel of the, te- uh, of the Sunday, and that's St. Luke chapter 23, 
verses 1 through 56. That's the whole chapter of 23. And Jesus has been arrested, and now he is brought before Pilate. And this is interesting. Verse 1, the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. This is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elite, the, the religious ruling class. And I think it's so interesting that they're the ones that have the problem with it, but they go to Pilate. And Pilate, rightly so, says, why don't you take care of this yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, And I, I think um, with that, you know, the because Pilate looks at this, he's a Roman, yeah. he looks at this situation, this is a problem amongst the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Solve it yourselves. Right. He doesn't want it to, to become a, a bigger, broader political problem. And so you see him, he's trying to kind of, well, as we'll see later, he literally washes his hands of it, but he's yeah. trying to even pushes Jesus off on Herod. Oh, he's a Galilean. You you deal with him there. Um, right. So this idea of kind of trying to pass the buck because he doesn't want things to escalate even further. But there is that strange, okay, why are the Jewish authorities bringing this Jewish man here? And you see the, um, the Jewish leaders trying to uh, get rid of Jesus mm-hmm. while also uh, not being responsible for getting rid of Jesus. So it's an interesting dance that takes place here. What is it, plausible deniability? Oh, I didn't know Pilate would kill him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and I think, it again, uh, Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, you have said so. I think that's really neat. And we can parse that out on a lot of things. But Pilate has no qualms. He has no dog in this fight. And I see him looking at the, the, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests. I find no guilt in him. In essence, this is your problem. And as you said, uh, he shoots him over to Galilee uh, so that uh, Herod can see him. And I think this is where the power and might of Jesus really comes out in a very interesting way. So Herod, Pilate, the, the Roman governing people, who the, the mere statements can kill people, make people, you know, the whole nine yards. And so Herod is excited. And I think this is uh, a neat thing, and I'm going to put a spin on. Herod is actually the world. He's an unbeliever, and he's heard about this Jesus, this Jesus doing these miracles, this Jesus doing uh, these teachings, and there's a curiosity. Who is this guy? Now, we would remember that another Herod, uh, who imprisoned John the Baptist, also liked to hear about these teachings, hear about these things. So I, I think this is interesting. Uh, as much as we throw the world under the bus, the world is interested in hearing about Jesus, interested in about hearing spirituality, interested in hearing uh, things beyond this world. But there's no saving faith in this. It's a curiosity. And I think Herod plays right into that. He wants to ask him questions. Finally, I get to meet this Jesus. And he sees him as a magician. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll do one of those tricks. Maybe he'll do one of those miracles. And Jesus doesn't answer him. And I can't imagine how frustrating this has to be for Herod. Hey, you showed up. Do something. 
And Jesus not only doesn't do any miracles, but doesn't answer him. And with this, it really, um, I mean, it, it draws out uh, that Jesus is on a very specific mission. Yes. Uh, he takes very specific actions, or in this case, maybe a lack of actions. Uh, he says very specific things or or withholds from saying things. I mean, you have him before Pilate, and he is more than capable of getting himself, talking himself, commanding angels to deliver himself from this situation. He doesn't do it. He goes to Herod, same thing. Maybe if he, you know, performs a miracle or whatever. Yeah, just a miracle. He what? could get off the hook. Yeah. Doesn't do it. Uh, and it speaks to this humility of Christ, uh, the humbling of Christ to carry out the thing that he has been sent to do. So that ties in with the epistle lesson. Yeah where we see uh, the humility of Christ um, hum- lowering himself, emptying himself uh, to carry out the goal of dying for our sins. So all that kind of is there, and you kind of keep that in mind as you see Jesus go through the arrest, trials, all the things that are taking place here, and the the, the idea that he doesn't free himself from those Mm. situations because he has something so much bigger and more important in mind than his own physical safety and well-being. And and that's that's huge and, frankly, incomprehensible. And thanks be to God that he does do that for our benefit. So we have him being returned back to Pilate. After the chief priest in the presence of Herod, are are mocking him, uh, trying to provoke him to do something. And again, Jesus doesn't rise to the occasion. And he stands before Pilate again. And this again, Pilate, I find nothing wrong with him. This is your problem. And this is when uh, the, the chief priest, we can't kill him. We can't do these things. And he's challenging Rome. He's saying he's king. You heard him. And I I love Pilate. Again, ever the politician, I will punish him and release him. Mm -hmm. I will do something. But death is too much. I I, I think that's interesting. Um, But then we hear, um, and this is verse 18, uh, but they cried out together, away with this man, release to us Barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and a murderer. And we have a large crowd. And they yell, crucify, crucify him. So you brought up earlier the crowd for Palm Sunday, the crowd for the triumphal entry. We have another crowd. What do we do with the whole crowd aspect? Because are, are they the same crowd? Are they the same people? How 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 do we deal with this? The easiest way to deal with this is just to say that they're two totally separate crowds of totally different people. Um, now, more realistically, there's probably some crossover here mm-hmm. for the reasons we kind of mentioned at the top here. That you know maybe some of the people there for Jesus's entry didn't really understand who he was, what he was about. We know that much is clear. So maybe they're they're just there kind of interested in what's going on, or they have these false notions of what Jesus might be. Uh, and when they realize that's not who he's who he is, they they turn on him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely possible. Um, so there's there's 
there could be separate crowds. There could be this this merging, some overlap. Uh, so that that there's my there's my easy way out answer. Well, I, I want you to know I actually really appreciate this answer because I've heard that the same crowd that welcomed Jesus in Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then five minutes later is yelling for his crucifixion. Are there people who did that? Yes, one hundred percent. I don't think whole crowd, whole crowd, same. I think there's a lot of struggle. I think there's a lot of turmoil. I think there's a lot of um, mob mentality. Um, and we don't know to what extent. And I, I like what you said. It's a mixed bag. Yes, there's people that were at both. To what extent, we don't know. And, and it's, it's, it's human nature. It kind of gets to the, when I mentioned earlier, there's different degrees yeah. of of uh, knowledge and witness mm-hmm. uh, of Jesus. I think that kind of plays into this where you you probably have, you know, a lot of that crowd there on Palm Sunday who had been with Jesus for a while mm-hmm. now. They were really his followers. I, in my mind, don't see them turning around and calling for his crucifixion. Absolutely. Um, but you also have those who are kind of... Uh, not as invested in this Jesus. Maybe they were hopeful, didn't pan out how they wanted, that kind of thing. Um, but th- that's how I try to make sense of it, where if you were truly a follower of Jesus, it's hard for me to understand yeah. how you would turn around so quickly. But when you understand uh, the 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 popularity that he is coming into this week with uh, and the different levels mm-hmm. of engagement with Jesus, his teachings, that kind of thing, I think that starts to make a little more sense of it. So we continue with the, the, the passion, the not only his trial, but now his crucifixion. He is sentenced to die by Pilate. And this is just a, a huge event. And... This is what Holy Week is all about. Monday, Thursday will be the day in which he instituted the Lord's Supper, and this is his uh, arrest. And then Good Friday is the day of his death. And then we'll have the Easter vigil where we wait for the, the resurrection. But right here in this text, chapter 23, we kind of have a little bit of everything. And the hugeness of this. Jesus goes to the cross as obedient servant. Uh, This is the Philippians text. Uh, He, being born in the likeness of men, human form, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. At any moment, he could have done whatever he wanted as the true king god of creation. But we see that he's even so weak that Simon the Cyrene carries the cross or helps carry the cross to the the mount of the skull, Golgotha. And he's crucified with criminals outside of the holy city, the trash heap, so everybody can see. And this is just huge. Um, you got people uh, scoffing, people mocking him. I, I love the statement, um, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And again, this is the reflection uh, echoing of the temptations, uh, the devil. If you are really God, Mm -hmm. if you're really God, save yourself. If you're really the beloved son of God, save yourself. And he doesn't. And at no time does he come down and give those people what they deserve. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't do anything. So he he dies. Uh, we we hear 
the uh, one criminal is mocking him, the other criminal uh, confessing faith, uh, the great statement of Jesus, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then he dies. And this is, again, a, a huge statement of this text. We end the gospel lesson at his burial. We don't have his resurrection. We're, we're left hanging. And, and so with this, I, I kind of want to tie everything up a little bit. The immensity of his trial, crucifixion, and death, and burial. What does this have to do for us? Where, where, where do we see ourselves in this? How do we deal with this as a big picture instead of, oh, yeah, Jesus dies, but he rose from the dead. And we, we really like that. It's a happy ending, especially we as Americans. We really like happy endings. The death of God takes place here, and we're left with that. Vicar, what do we do with that? This is one of those texts where um, we have, this is the gospel of the Lord. And it's like, well, that was a downer. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that's the text as appointed, so that's how we are going to deal with it. And and with this, we're bringing out, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the the humility of Christ, the the humbling of Himself. Uh, I love that you brought out the mocking. If you are the Son of Man, save yourself. And we hear, you know, on this side of His death and resurrection, we know. He couldn't come down to save himself because he was too busy saving us. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he came to do. That's what it's all about. Um, but we get to dwell in what he has done for us. And that's why we really get to slow down here in 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 Passion Week, and, and we get to really dwell in what he has done. Uh, and it's uncomfortable, yes. and we don't really like it because mm -hmm. we understand that it was our sin that, that made him endure this on our behalf. But you really got to sit in it because when you sit in the depth of what he suffered and endured, you understand that he suffered and endured that for you. Yeah. And so that's where uh, we are kind of left hanging here on on Palm Sunday in the in the 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 grim prospect of death and being put in the grave. But we know the bigger picture that that's that's not how the story ends. So yeah, that, that's that's for the next podcast. Yeah, then you got to wait. Yeah, so you got to wait for that. It's uh, on next week on the Bible. <laughs> well, and I really appreciated that because it's. You're coming from a pastoral perspective, a preaching perspective. I really like preaching the nice, easy things. Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Jesus in his power, in his strength. And seeing Jesus in trial on the cross, that's hard. How do you preach the power and might of God when he's not defending himself, when he's nailed to a cross, when he's dying? And the hugeness of God at work for you. And I thought you brought that out really well. And that is for us. And this should be uncomfortable because our sin is uncomfortable. And when we are face-to-face -face with it, that's the result. The holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, which saves you. And that is on full display in the reading. That is on full display in Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and the transition of the expectation in Easter, in the Easter vigil, Holy Saturday, as we celebrate and gear up for the promised resurrection of Christ and ourselves. 
Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.